Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. Well, uh, Section 230, which is a uh, protection clause that uh, big tech has um, to basically silence who they want to silence. Um, pretty much most of the time it is conservatives and conservative entities. Um but uh, I'm reading an article here that says House GOP wrestles with Section 230 overhaul. It says House Republicans are debating reforming or even repealing legal protections for online publishers as some favor cracking down on what they describe as a pervasive big tech anti-conservative bias, while others argue doing so would harm the economy at issue is section 230 uh, of the communications decency act this is a provision that protects social media companies from liability for content posted by their users uh, so let me paraphrase ladies and gentlemen if you are pretty much in general a conservative or someone of conservative thought or even christian thought and the uh, CEOs or the governing bodies within Twitter, Facebook, uh, Google, uh, whomever feel that your speech is offensive. Um, and we've said this on the show numerous times, they will recruit a little 24 year old fact checker from a state college with a communications degree or a marketing degree or whatever to, um, follow you and analyze every word that comes out of your mouth and take it out of context usually and summarily ban you. And we don't have to uh, revisit how Donald Trump has been banned. Many other conservatives have been banned for a period of time or indefinitely. And um, these big tech kingpins have been marched up to Capitol Hill they have been asked fluffy questions by Democrats and Republicans, largely, uh, even conservative ones, have used the forum as um, good theater videos to disseminate to their would-be voters, like, I'm raking these guys over the coals. But in reality, nothing ever happens Um as these really chilling figures don't answer questions and they say, yeah, we'll get back to you. And they kind of craft these uh, phrases and little speeches that seem to placate everyone and they're void of any degree of uh, logic or substance. And then it just keeps happening, happening, happening. And it happens uh, to a greater degree of frequency, obviously during election cycles and, one could persuasively argue that um, in the six months running up to the presidential election last fall, uh, they were doing their best to uh, stifle conservative thought and promote um, thought of liberals or Democrats. I think that's really not up for debate, but the 230 clause insulates them and kind of gives them cover if they unduly or unfairly assail someone or um, 
basically silence them that they can operate with impunity. And there have been folks on both sides of the aisle that think that this is not fair. Um, and they pledge, and we'll get into this at the end of the article, that um, they want to do some bipartisan thing. Anytime you hear the word bipartisan, um, it's going to be a Band-Aid. It's going to be promoted by all Democrats, a very large percentage of Democrat light Republicans, and it's really done for window dressing or public theater. And I think the constituents out there are getting uh, smart and understanding that these hearings and these laws that do nothing are not really um, solving the problem. So I think at the end of the day, if you want the problem solved, you will see very clearly if um, solutions to this problem are being forwarded uh, by conservatives, you will see staunch opposal um, from Democrats on this because Democrats to the largest of degrees benefit wholeheartedly from this selective um, purging of conservative thought or this selective silencing. It, it, But it has gotten to be so egregious and the arrogance um, displayed by uh, Zuckerberg and um, and others is just not to be tolerated anymore. And it will, um, it will, you know, come to some type of a legislative remedy in the short term. I, I would not suspect that's going to be anything too great, but I, I do have an article here. That's very interesting. It is, um, it is about what, um, our friend governor, um, down in, uh, Florida, um, Governor DeSantis is doing, and and I think it is is a good thing, and and I think it it dovetails into many other subjects other than um, just the overhaul of big tech. It, it really speaks to election overhauls, and um, as, as listeners to this show um, recall, several months ago, um, I read uh, some of the legislation that Governor DeSantis strongly supported um, against the rioters in his cities uh, in Florida that were destroying property, destroying businesses, assaulting business owners. And I, I think what I'm trying to say here is guys like Governor DeSantis and folks down in Texas and other states, they're not waiting for, <clears throat> excuse me, federal legislation to rectify problems that uh, affect Texans or Floridians, they are taking matters into their own hands, as it as it were, through their own state legislatures. And I think that is the way to go. Because if we are going to rectify problems in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania or Florida or wherever, uh, we simply are not going to get solutions to those problems from Washington D.C the mecca of problem creation rather than problem solution. So um, the article says, um, we recommend that Republicans and Democrats work together to reach an agreement to sunset or establish a reauthorization date for Section 230 until big tech will work with us on meaningful reform. Um so ranking chairwoman Rogers um, 
says uh, she has released a big tech accountability platform two weeks ago that indicates anti-conservative bias on social media remains a key priority for the GOP. The first intern on the plan's agenda, uh, excuse me, the first item on the plan's agenda is reforming Section 230 by pushing to repeal big tech companies' liability protections when they neglect their Good Samaritan obligation. And the Good Samaritan clause of Section 230 is what gives companies immunity for content moderation. Isn't it funny how if you define the verbiage, you win the war? Content moderation um, decisions taking in good faith that the platforms consider to be objectionable or problematic in nature. And we all know that um, these platforms have uh, have exercised selective outrage, um, allowing things that are, uh, by all accounts, are offensive and terrible, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, um, from that vantage point, and and blunting quite quickly things that are clearly uh, of a conservative bent. So this has been going on for quite a while. Um, there is a representative, Debbie Lesko. She's an Arizona Republican on the committee. And even though she was um, a big Trump supporter, she disagreed with Trump's desire to repeal Section 230 altogether. Lesko, who is known as a loyal ally of Trump, also called into question the evidence behind calls for a full repeal of the law. Republicans that want to repeal Section 230 she asserts that she does not know how much they have studied the law and if they are just basing it on Trump's support or some deep study of the issue. Um, instead, Representative Lesko said that one area both parties have come together on is pushing for greater clarity from social media companies regarding their content moderation techniques. And we will address this in in the article about what Governor DeSantis is doing, but this is at the core. Um, right now, it is quite fuzzy and up in the air what the criteria is by big tech when they presumably let something go that is just very outlandishly um, offensive and factually incorrect and then will slam something that is neither of those two things, yet the origins of the latter happen to be from folks on the right, and they slam those things. And the uh, the needle uh, at the beginning of the record, if you will, tend uh, should be in, in, in her eyes, in the eyes of many, is we need clarity. What is your criteria for blunting speech or blunting content, period. And heretofore, the companies have purposefully um, been very, very vague on what their criteria is. And the vagueness of that criteria is basically how they've been getting away with slamming one group or person while allowing something by another group or person that is clearly offensive. Um, 
One thing Democrats and Republicans agree on is more transparency from Facebook and Twitter on what their rules are and what their algorithms are doing, said Lesko. I disagree with that. I do not think Democrats, um, by their very nature of what they're getting away with in, in, um, in politics and the culture in general, are for transparency in any way, shape, manner, or form, because transparency usually shows the light of truth on an issue, and they are usually on the wrong side of that issue. So when Representative Lesko asserts that uh, Republicans and Democrats are all about transparency, I don't think that's the case. I think it benefits Democrats greatly if they are, um, if this charade continues by big tech and the criterias are continued to be vague and non-transparent because that obviously helps one party. Uh, the big tech companies are going to push back on everything, but they are really going to, uh, they have gone too far. In terms of Section 230 reform, legislation that she does support um, is endorsed by Republican Senator, or excuse me, um, Jim Jordan. Uh, his bill, known as the Protect Speech Act, um, kind of lists, uh, she says Jordan's proposal is the most comprehensive bill on the issue and would eliminate the unfair or selective censorship of conservatives on social media. So I, I do not know the specifics of Mr. Jordan's um, bill. However, I do know Mr. Jordan, and he is a conservative. He does not equivocate. He is not Democrat light. Um, he won't dance and, and play nicey-nicey when something is wrong. And so if he is sponsoring a bill, although I have not seen it, I would, I would think that it will have some teeth in it. So let me move on to um, an article I saw in the Epoch Times entitled Florida Anti-Censorship Proposal seeks to sidestep Section 230 protection. Now, let me paraphrase in a nutshell what that means. Uh, that means, quite frankly, that Governor DeSantis is not going to wait for the federal government to take care of a situation that is adversely affecting Florida citizens. That's what that means. Um, he and many other governors of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, red states out there have waited too long for entities such as the uh, uh, Supreme Court, uh, Congress in Washington, a president with uh, that is executive order happy to cure the ills that are affecting the various citizens of a state and and. Um, he is quite correct that um, these states have the right to enact their own legislation, and that is what he is doing. And and I, I touched on it earlier, but it bears repeating. This is very similar to what he did when everybody stood there in amazement and watched the state of Washington, the state of Oregon, uh, the state of Minnesota, and just allow citizens to run rampant in the streets, toppling statues, destroying uh, personal property, destroying businesses, beating down business owners, um, 
circling the wagons, if you will, and um, trying to burn out uh, cops in precincts and create their own little autonomous villages. Um, Governors and citizens in red states kind of watched the news in horror when that was going on over last summer and asked probably the ignorant slash knee-jerk question, like, where are the feds on this? Because Trump wanted to come in and clean that up. But in in fairness, um, that's really not Trump's purview or the federal government's purview. Although if federal property is being destroyed, it is. But in general, um, if a state wants to declare one of their cities as a sanctuary city or that you can surround a precinct and, and smoke it out and burn it up and, and do all the crazy things that we saw last summer, a state pretty much has the right to do that with some exception. And, um, but you got to turn that on its head. Conversely, if a state has a right-minded governor, a right-minded legislature, a uh, citizenry that has put those two um, entities in place, uh, if they have a Supreme Court that is um, a constitutional loving Supreme or constitution loving Supreme Court, then those states can do the exact opposite of, of that. And that is indeed what uh, Governor DeSantis did several months ago. I forget the name of it, but he enacted legislation that would crack down hard on protesters that did all the aforementioned things, assault business owners, destroy property um, with impunity. And he put some serious teeth and, and that became law in the state of Florida. So similarly, he is not content, nor should you or I be, with watching these very odd individuals go to Washington and presumably answer questions about why big tech is not fair or watching them try to dance on the head of a pin and, and uh, explain themselves why they think they're fair. Um, he's like, I don't have time for that. So Florida is seeking um, censorship, um, anti-censorship proposals um, that kind of are not waiting for the federal government to get it together. And um, the article here says the Florida proposal takes a different approach. It would first require that the companies publish their content policy standards. Again, that is the major crux of the problem. Major social media such as Facebook, Google, uh, excuse me, Google owned YouTube do not fully explain their content policies, claiming it would lead to users dodging them. The law would apparently force them to fully reveal their standards. Why shouldn't they reveal their standards? Um, If you're going to engage um, in public discourse or promote your product or good or service or, you know, uh, further your campaign, if you're a politician, why should you not know what you can and cannot do? Um, Users would receive detailed explanation and written notice after being deplatformed or shadow banned. Florida House Speaker Chris Sprouse said at a February 2nd press conference where DeSantis announced his proposal. 
the law would stop frequent changes to terms of use, clearly communicate and obtain prior consent to changes, DeSantis' office said in the statement. Further, the bill would ban arbitrary censoring and or deplatforming users, which could possibly stop the companies from censoring on an ad hoc basis behind what their content rule, or excuse me, beyond what their content rules say. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, if you, if the rules that these platforms have are purposely confusing, vague, fuzzy, um, when the inevitable happens and you're a Republican politician, you're a Republican supporter, you happen to question um, the uh, results of an election, um, you're going to get slammed. But in Florida, you're not going to be able to do business in Florida if this um, legislation becomes enacted. When social media companies apply these standards unequally on users, the article said, this is discrimination, pure and simple, DeSantis said during the press conference. Can you imagine tolerating this kind of behavior in banking or in healthcare or in other industries? Um, so they're taking the civil rights angle. The idea of making social media access a civil right of sorts and enforce it through state level legislation was previously adopted a few years ago by conservative lawyer Will Chamberlain. He uh, is the editor in chief of news website Human Events. It will be a very serious challenge to get a federal law past protecting this civil right, even if the current composition of uh, given the current composition of Congress. But states, on the other hand, with heavily Republican legislatures, can pass laws that protect their state citizens from deplatforming, he wrote in an op-ed. And again, um, Governor Santos alludes to discrimination in banking, discrimination in health care. Um, and you may say at first blush, well, you know, that those are some pretty heavy things, but blunting free speech and um, controlling the dissemination of government sanctioned speech is every bit of uh, dangerous as those two uh, areas are probably quite a bit more. So again, this speaks to the larger issue of when we have a problem, what do we do as uh, citizens? Um, do we rely on Joe Biden or even Donald Trump or nine people in robes to dictate what our future is, to tell us what right and wrong is, or uh, do we take a little bit more of a direct approach? And th there are plenty of politicians out there that as much as they were um, quite disturbed by what happened in November of last year, um, have, have said, and I agree, far too much import has been put on um, who the president is. Um, a, a very large amount of time and energy should be put into how our Congress is made up, but even more so, um, elections from dog catcher up to regional offices and state legislatures are oftentimes the way things um, get done. And the federal government, in its heavy steamroller approach, 
gets thwarted. So people that are smart understand that if you want to win victories and and uh, move the ball forward for conservatism, let's say, it it's not simply let's get a guy or a gal with an R next to their name to become president. Um, there is no doubt that helps us in our standing in the world and, and how people view the United States of America. But as far as a lot of these things um, that affect uh, you and I in our communities, our school boards are absolutely vital. Um, our local, uh, our state senators and state representatives and our township supervisors and our mayors and city councils of small cities these are the areas where um, a lot of the craziness and the fleecing is going on as far as taxes is concerned. So in keeping with that, um, Florida has had enough of this undue or unfair censoring of conservatives. And they're basically saying not in our state. Um so it says uh to the critics who say regulating content policy um, our, our regulating content policing opens the door to government censorship. He pointed out that the Supreme Court already has ruled in 2017 that so-called media um, or that social media are the modern public square to which the government cannot prevent people's access. So that's a powerful statement. If you have, with a wink and a nod, big tech, who um, is winking and nodding at Democrat um, officials in Washington and certainly winking and nodding at Joe Biden, who was um, unduly helped by these entities, um, calling the shots, if you will, uh, that is not a good thing. And, And the article here says government cannot prevent people's access and that's a pretty compelling uh, case, I-, I would think. The concerns about government regulation being turned around to constrain speech are simply unfounded. Moreover, um, uh, this gentleman, uh, Chamberlain, proposed um, that instead of uh, a regulatory agency, the enforcement of social media access should be left to the courts. And in this issue, it is state courts that he feels should be um, involved. Um, Again, uh, regulatory agencies for the enforcement of anything is always problematic. You always have to have your antennas up. Um, uh, I, I alluded to that Netflix special, The Social Dilemma, where you know, former big tech people were telling us how chilling the study of these algorithms are and the blunting of certain thought and the promotion of other thought is. And their solution was, you know, uh, basically they didn't have much of a solution by the end of the special, but um, they were just kind of thinking out loud, you know, there, there has to be an entity, if you will, uh, on high that tells us um, what is allowed and what is not. And to to one extent, there is an entity and it is a, a court, a, a Supreme Court or local municipality. But again, legislation is crafted um, on the local level. 
And if the Republicans have the plurality of, of folks in the Florida legislature or any legislature, the um, that Supreme Court of that state has to dictate whether um, laws are lawful or unlawful according to their constitutionality within that state. So um, Florida is not waiting for the federal government to figure this out. Um, the article says, opting in or out, DeSantis also proposes to give users the power to opt in and out of algorithms that tech companies use to sort and filter content. Um, he argued that there's no need for social media companies to ban or delete any lawful content. Instead, they should give users the option to turn on any objectionable content filters of their own volition. And this is, again, uh, the dilemma we've had for years with the FCC. If this, and, and you know, uh, you have all sorts of outlets, um, late night cable, uh, XM, this and that. And, and you know, the, the old adage, if you are offended by something, you simply turn the dial or, 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 or turn off this and open up that. So, um, the article concludes here. It says campaign rules. DeSantis also wants to regulate and fine tech companies for election meddling. And here, here's where his motivation is really at. And it should be big tech has been manipulating news content and designing algorithms to give the upper hand to their candidates of choice. And they do it scot free. He said, so talk about getting it coming and going. You're not only picking winners and losers. You're not only promoting candidates, but blunting other candidates, but you're not even paying for it. And this is where um, the money part of it is. The proposed law would impose a $100,000 per day fine on a company that disables the account of Florida of a Florida candidate for office. I can't even believe I'm reading that, but but can you imagine a big tech entity who obviously has a dog in that fight, um, just disabling the uh, the account, whether it be Twitter or whatever, Facebook, of a Florida candidate for office that they do not like, and this legislation um, will prevent them from doing that. Any Floridian can deplatform any candidate they choose. They simply unsubscribe. And when I get things across my uh, computer or tablet or phone that urge me to do something or urge me to read an article about something or urge me to listen to a video uh, that somebody's trying to get my vote or sell me something or whatever, um, I simply can either unsubscribe to that or click the X and close out of it and and it goes away. Um, so again, uh, Governor DeSantis wants to put the power in the hands of the consumer where it should be rather than um, the deliverer of or the, the disseminator of this information, patting you on the head, giving you a cookie and saying, hey, Bob, in Ocala, Florida, this is what I think you should consume or have the ability to consume because us Harvard educated folks at 
whatever, Twitter, Facebook, Google, have deemed that it's uh, factually accurate and nice and clean for your um, unwashed uh, consumption. That's ridiculous. Um, Bob, the pig farmer in Ocala, can make that decision on his own. And he does not need big tech to help him along because he's too stupid to make that decision. And uh, Governor DeSantis um, wants that decision to be in the uh, hands of the consumer. Further, if a technology company promotes a candidate for office against another candidate, here's, here's back to the monetary aspect of this. The value of that free promotion must be recorded as a political campaign contribution. And that's what Governor DeSantis means when he refers to getting away scot-free. And the, the, the operative word there is free. Um, if you want to promote a candidate or if you want to run an ad that doesn't promote your candidate but at least paints the other candidate in a bad light, heretofore in the United States of America, you got to pay for that. And you got to report that you paid for that. Um, that's where Governor DeSantis says these companies have been getting away scot-free promoting candidates that will go back to either the, their state capital or Washington, D.C. and vote in a manner that benefits big tech. If that's not untoward, I do not know what is. So I, I would presume Twitter or Facebook or whoever, they 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 have the right for redress of grievances or to donate to uh, one campaign or another, one political party, promote uh, a politician, and they certainly do. However, they don't have the right to do it for free, and they have to declare what the value of that is. And it, it's almost incalculable, the value of the free advertising that they have given politicians or groups that are sympathetic to their worldview while simply blunting politicians and groups that are antithetical to their worldview. And they've done it for free. And that's a, that's a, that's a construct that has to be deconstructed. And in Florida, they're attempting to do that. Companies would also face daily fines if they use their algorithms to suppress or prioritize content related to candidates or ballot measures. That's another one, a, a ballot measure. Um, we all see them on the ballot, you know, vote yes for proposition, whatever, vote no for against proposition, whatever. Well, why the hell should big tech be able to squelch a lobbying group that wants you to vote against it while promoting a lobbying group that wants you to vote for it, whatever the it happens to be. That's illogical. That is not their business. And they have made it their business, and they've made it their business by by making their rules of engagement uh, purposely confusing and fuzzy, and you, the consumer, have uh, paid the price for that. So, the message is a loud and is loud and clear. When it comes to elections in Florida, big tech should stay out of them. The governor said, um, "I love Ron DeSantis. Uh, a lot of people do not like him. Um, 
it, it's kind of logical while why um, people on the left don't like him um, because of his ideology, because of his forthrightness, his confidence. Um, but to me, it doesn't really seem logical that people, um, either uh, moderate Democrats, moderate Republicans, centrists, if you will, don't like him. Um, I mean, at first blush, it makes perfect sense because he's been um, demagogued and, and pilloried in the media and they uh, play fast and loose with his COVID numbers and um, accuse him of all sorts of craziness. And again, when people are confident and they tee it high and let it fly, a lot of people are offended by that, regardless of content. They're intimidated by that, I should say. So uh, at first blush, I, I, I can understand why people of rational thought would not be fans of his. But I would urge you, if you've heard this or that about Ron DeSantis, there are many things that he has proposed and that he has done in the state of Florida that are really good things. If you're a logic-based thinker, if you're a conservative, um, people are moving to Florida in droves. And um, that climate down there, not not just the weather, but their, their uh, political climate, their culture, um, is one of the reasons that they are doing that. So um, enough about... Um, Big tech, it is a uh, constant problem, and we'll see how it goes. Um, the next article we have here is um, uh, about how Joe Biden um, uh, just is in the hip pocket of the teachers' union, and uh, the article asserts that the teachers' union are getting what they paid for, um, which is a nice return on the massive donations that they um, that they gave to the Democrat Party and Joe Biden specifically to get him elected. So the article says President Biden has made abundantly clear that he cares more about the teachers union than he does about the parents and students they are hurting. For an explanation, all you have to do is follow the money. In 2020, the union spent a total of $43.7 million, that's a lot of money, more than any other previous year, uh, with much of that going toward outside spending on ads, campaign materials, political action committees. And, and here is the sad but honest truth. Backing Democratic candidates, in fact, 98, this is staggering, 98% of the union's political spending went to Democratic campaigns, according to Open Secrets. I guess that's an entity that um, looks into things like that. Nothing could better explain Biden's recent decision on school reopenings. He originally promised to push for the vast majority of public schools to reopen for in-person learning by the end of the first 100 days of office. This would take us into about March. But his administration has since backtracked, setting a much lower goal that most parts of the country have already met anyway. Here again, um, even though you have political squabbling at the local, regional, state level, the science, although there are a lot of science deniers and they're not on the right, is clearly out as far as the infinitesimal rates of COVID-19 death 
um, among young people. It, it's, it's absolutely staggering. It's 0.0005% of um, children under 18 who, um, if they get COVID-19, die from it. And, and, and the, where I'm going with this is even state uh, and local municipalities have gotten kids back into school to some degree or another. Now, um, some of it is hybrid. Um, it is virtual, and that is to placate a lot of people that are still very much afraid for some good, mostly bad reasons. But again, uh, waiting for the federal government or any federal edicts from Joe Biden to tell us when to go back to school is absolutely silly. So he's made these sweeping statements and the article says, you know, most of these goals have already been met several months ago. His goal that he set to have the majority of schools um, more than 50% open by day 100 of his presidency, um, that means teaching in the classrooms, um, at least one day per week. Now, now, what in the world is that going to do? One day of teachers um, teaching live in the classroom um, per week, and that goal is to be met by March, and the school year's over, um, you know, uh, eight weeks after that or something like that. I mean, it, it's absolutely crazy. Article says, one day a week, most private and charter schools are already open five days a week, and several metropolitan public schools, such as New York City, have been open on a hybrid basis for several months um, uh, for two or three days a week. And none of these schools have experienced significant coronavirus spread. Of course they haven't. Biden's goal has no basis in science or basic common sense. Study after study has shown in-person learning can take the place very safely with next to no transmission of the virus. Biden's own Center for Disease Control and Prevention director said, Vaccination does not need to be a prerequisite for teachers to get back in the classroom. But instead of heeding the CDC, Director Rochelle Walensky's guidance, which is what he promised to do, Biden's White House dismissed her entirely and said she was just speaking in her own personal capacity. Um, personal capacity or not, facts are facts, unless, of course, those facts upset one of your major political donors. In that case, uh, one day in person, school per week, will have to do. Biden seems to think that placating the teachers union will help him convince them to get back to work. He's even tried to throw an additional $130 billion with a B in funding. But Biden is discovering what city officials and parents have spent the last year learning the hard way. The unions do only what the unions want to do. For example, Chicago's debacle. The city has spent the past few months fighting with teachers union over its plan to reopen public schools. Things escalated when the teachers union threatened to go out on strike if Chicago moved forward with its original reopening date. Um, now the two sides have reached a deal which seems to have been pulled straight from the union playbook. K through eight students will return for limited classroom instruction in early March, but high school students will continue distance learning for the foreseeable future. Um, this is a joke. It, it really is a joke. Um, I'm going to, time permits, get to an article about the mental health crisis 
that has exploded due to these selfish bastards in the unions that are really caring much more about themselves rather than the children that they purport to care for. And um, I don't know how you can look, and we'll get to it in a moment, uh, about at the statistics of the mental health crisis we have because these children are not back in school and and sit there and just be a union thug and and tell one school after another this is how it's going to be and um if not we'll go out on strike and if we don't go out on strike because that kind of looks bad we will um what we will do is uh, have sick outs, which is, oh, my uncle has COVID. I'm not coming in for three weeks. My sister's cousin's taxi driver has COVID. I can't um, mentally handle school. And um, you talk to any thoughtful, honest superintendent of a school that's just trying to manage this fiasco, they will tell you that they have just major staffing problems because the unions do not want to go back to work. And it's just, it's criminal. It's horrible. Um, I heard a story the other day of a, of a school nurse. And you think, what, is, what does a school nurse do now that there's really, in, in some places, not too much, um, you know, not too much uh, uh, nursing going on. And nobody's back in school. Or if they are, they're back in school for a limited amount of time. Um, they have charged this particular nurse with doing follow-up phone calls, and I guess it, it is in the area of mental health, um, following up with families and students. Hey, um, we noticed that your student is not coming in to the school, yet they're not fulfilling their obligations to be educated because they're not logging into anything. They're just not doing anything. Would you like to explain that? And there's situations, in, in, and, and, and we saw a foreshadowing of this last March when all this rolled out, when a, a staggering, I'm forgetting it now, but a, a staggering percentage of kids in the Philadelphia school system did, just did not engage in online learning. They just did not log in for the last three months of school last year. And if that was going to be a foreshadowing of what was going on or what was going to go on this year, um, I, I, it certainly was. So this nurse would call families and they were, a lot of them came from fractured families, families that were poor. Hey, the kid's iPad's over at his dad's house. Um, we, we only have access to it two days a week because the dad's a jerk. Or, you know, I, I try to get my kid to do this, but I'm working full time and my husband's working full time and we just can't police this. Um, how in the world do you stick a third grader in front of a, even if you get them to log in, to uh, stick them in front of a computer for eight hours every single day, day after day after day? It's insane. And the fallout is um, is absolutely uh, there. And that kind of does lead to the next article. It says San Francisco, um, they are, uh, their schools are experiencing um, a mental health crisis, they say. San Francisco said that the lack of in-class learning is fueling a growing mental health crisis among students who have been isolated and out of classes for nearly a year. 
Um, and this is a lawsuit that is against the school district. San Francisco City Attorney Dennis Herrera filed a lawsuit on Thursday in San Francisco Superior Court. The motion which was announced last week, contains troubling testimony from area hospitals that treatment for suicidal children has increased, as well as treatment for other mental health disorders. Let me stop right there. We just go go back to what I said originally when I used the B word. Maybe I shouldn't have used it, but you have a situation that's not up for debate. I don't care if you are a big fan of big government and Anthony Fauci, or if you're all the way on the other side of the aisle and you think it's um, uh, COVID is nothing and you uh, shake hands with everybody and don't wear a mask or anywhere in between, the science, and I know people like to throw that word around, um, that, uh, that this disease is not devastating to children does not is not transmitted as quickly with children if children and ha- the rare instance get it they um is astronomically low chance of dying with all this in place and, and and furthermore i've seen studies where the incidence of covid and covid transmission is greater for the kids that are doing virtual school than the kids that are in school it's insane for all that to be in play and all that to be irrefutable and for these kids to still have to sit in front of a screen and and do virtual school, well, the inevitable happens. And these are some pretty sobering statistics. The University of California, San Francisco, uh, Benhoff Children's Hospital reported a 75% increase in youth hospitalizations for mental health services and a 66% increase in suicidal children in the emergency room, according to the Associated Press. While it did not provide exact numbers, UCSF Children's Emergency Department at Mission Bay reported surging numbers of suicidal children and youth with eating disorders, depression, and anxiety issues. School is a good thing. I don't care if you're an honor student or a struggling, um, just average student. Uh, School is a good thing. The discipline of getting up early, getting on the bus, going to school, going through the motions. We haven't even discussed how many athletic careers have been destroyed by um, uh, programs being curtailed. And if they're not curtailed, their seasons are truncated. They can't have spectators. This is an absolute mess. And, you know, if you want to screw around with people 30, 40, 50, 60, that's bad enough. That's horrible enough because the numbers with COVID are, are, are still quite infinitesimal as far as fatality in those demographics. But when you're messing with kids, it's, it's just absolutely um, unconscionable to put union interests in front of these children that are suffering from all these um, disorders and potential disorders. The medical evidence is clear that keeping public schools closed is catalyzing a mental health crisis among school-aged children in San Francisco, said Dr. Jean Noble, the COVID-19 response director for UCSF emergency department. Officials have allowed schools to reopen for in-person learning since September, although the district and teachers union haven't been able to come to any agreements on doing so, despite scientific data showing that reopening is safe 
if certain health guidelines are implemented at schools. And believe me, they are implemented and they're, they're all welling in too. But, you know, I'm almost willing if I had kids to, to send them back to this Orwellian, um, you know, overprotective, uh, uh, protections that they're putting in place in the public school just to get them back in the public school. But the unions don't want that. And here's the result of uh, 75% increase in youth hospitalization for mental health services. We wholeheartedly agree that students are better served with in-person learning. District spokeswoman Laura Dudnick said, I mean, this is San Francisco guys. This isn't um, the middle of the country. Bringing students back to school in a large public school is a very is very complex and requires partnership. Um, I'm going to take issue with the lady that said that. No, it's not. Um, it may require partnership, but it's not very complex. Send them back, throw a mask on them, rock and roll. Um, the lawsuit includes data that analyzes private school reopenings in the area. Nearly 16,000 students have returned to classes in that area as uh, have 2,400 staff at the private schools. And there have been fewer than five confirmed cases of in-person COVID-19 transmission. 16,000 students, um, five transmissions uh, of, of confirmed cases. Uh, I can almost guarantee you not looking at those five, the students probably had some sniffles and that was about it. Um, like San Francisco, Chicago has also been struggling with the teachers union to reopen classes. Um, and it goes on to say how, you know, uh, the unions are threatening to strike if there is a, a, this drumbeat to, um, to continue or, or to want to get students back in school. Um, I think the best advice I could give you if you want some is, um, as I've always done, uh, become a born-again Christian, listen to the Holy Spirit, check the Word of God. That is your rule book that will tell you what to do, what not to do, um, that will give you discernment when you vote for somebody, when you deal with somebody, when you want to do this or that, and how it affects the culture. Um, but aside from that, uh, I would strongly urge you to do that. But aside from that, if you're not a Christian, you're not a religious person, get involved at the local level. These fights are, there's a lot of people slinging a lot of mud at the top levels in Washington and money's going around and this and that. And we, but I think for too long, guys, we have allowed or, um, you know, let the heavy lifting go to the Supreme Court or the president through executive orders or our favorite senator or governor or whatever. These fights should be fought at the local level and, and rely heavily on your state legislatures to do what's best for your particular state. So those, those, um, state representatives that win races in some, you know, municipalities like uh, 8,000 to 7,800 or whatever. These are really, really important elections. Uh, I've told you a story before of the township supervisor um, several years ago. We did a little meet and greet, you know, she 
told people what she was all about. And there was about 10 people at our house and she ended up winning, um, the, uh, the township supervisor position by like seven votes. Now I, I don't, I don't know if all seven came from my, uh, little meet and greet party, but I know at least four of them did. And I felt good about that. So, um, do what you can do what the Lord calls you to do at the local level. And, uh, that's all you can do. This is Kerf Llewellyn, Reshaping America. Until next week, have a great day.